This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, Jonathan Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. Recording live, as always, from the Vivid Seats studio. And if I'm recording from the Vivid Seats studio, you know who's next to me in the Vivid Seats studio. And it is the one, the only, the soon-to-be-of-age Jeremy Cohen. Jeremy, how are you, my friend? I'm miserable, John. I'm so unhappy. Like personally, I'm I'm fine, but this this might honestly have been the worst weekend for sports for me in quite a long time, and I just want it to end. Um, I think it basically has. But it's almost just, over, so that's good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've got some also some bets in the fire that I'm destined to probably lose, which just makes it worse. But uh, all of my teams were atrocious. Thank God, only one of them it didn't even count. Um, but yeah, <laughs> um, I can't wait for this weekend to be over is the bottom line. And I'm you, sure a lot of fans out there feel very much the same way. You know, when, um, you know, when the Knicks are the thing that is, that you are looking forward to, to keep you sane, that you need to reexamine, uh, your, your life choices. Um, uh, you, yes. Uh, before we move on to those aforementioned Knicks, uh, you mentioned betting perfect time to remind everybody to use promo code overtime in the vivid seats, mobile app to save up to a hundred bucks on all ticket purchases. First time customers only. So the Knicks preseason is over. Um, I we're we're gonna we're gonna go through some stats. We're gonna go through some predictions for the regular season. Um, before I, you know, I love to do this to to completely put you on the spot. Even though we've discussed what we're gonna talk about in the episode um, previously, and just throw something out of left field at you. Before we talk about any of that stuff, if someone who was like um, a fair weather Nick fan um, saw you on the street, you hadn't seen them in a while, and they're like, "Oh, I know you do like the Nick stuff on the side." And you're like, yeah, I do. Um, and they're like, oh yeah. So what did you what did you think of the preseason? What's your what's your two second like elevator pitch for them uh, for the for the preseason that you've just witnessed? I'd say not great overall. Uh, RJ is amazing, and uh, it's only a four game sample size, and none of it really means anything. So that's pretty much all I would say. Um, you know, like there were some shining moments, but nothing was remarkable overall. And, um, th- like, this is the easy part, right? Like, we, we, it was great to get stressed out over preseason, which a lot of us were doing, but, um, more it, than it, I deemed acceptable. Totally. But by the by. Yes. Anyway. Yeah. Like, I, I, I can't really believe I'm not his biggest fan, but the idea that 
there are fire Fisdale grumblings. Um, it just uh, I don't I don't understand why we're at that point yet. So <laughs> there's he, there's no you just you just stumbled on my biggest thing, which is that I I think. You know, I consider us a fairly thoughtful fan base, um, maybe to my detriment. I do, though. And the idea that it's, it's, it's like a vicious cycle. We make some moves. The media pans our moves. We run to defend the team because, hey, the moves aren't as bad as you think. We then start to hype ourselves up so we can, you know, because um, we've just spent so much time defending the moves that they make and now as we enter the season we've gotten we've gone too far and we've like we're we've forgotten the part where um two-thirds of the roster is brand new and the the part that is a holdover are all first or second year players um and it's like wait a minute hold on this is not going to look pretty early um in fact it might look quite ugly at times early and I feel like that has gotten lost in the conversation. And that's my big thing, um, which I'm sure we'll get into as we go through some of the, the predictions that I've made about the season, which you, I trust, are going to dissect with a with a fine scalpel. Um, but before we do, um, cleaningtheglass.com, if you have not um, paid your whatever, what is it, $5 a month, I think, for the full access to the site? It's the best, best $5 I spend every month. It's the price of a friggin' cup of coffee, for Christ's sake. Um, they have some preseason numbers um, for all the NBA teams, and me and Jeremy thought it would be a good idea to go through them and decide if any of this is worth really a second thought. Because as you said, Jeremy, um, you know, this it's, 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 what was your word? Worthless? I, I don't think it's worthless, I, but I think it's like, it's one step above worthless, but there can be some stuff that you take from it. Absolutely. Um, so let's start with this. The Knicks, uh, obviously, were 1-3. and three. Their point differential uh, through the preseason was the 19th ranked in the league. It was They were outscored by 2.5 points per 100 possessions. Here's the, the thing that I found um, maybe the most interesting out of their general numbers, and you tell me if I'm making too big of a deal out of it. Um, let me just pull it up. Uh, yes, here we go. Um, they were 23rd in the league in effective field goal percentage. Last season, they were last. Um, I think their offseason moves, to me, indicated that they were making a real effort to try to up that. Are you... Are you worried that they are still among the bottom eight teams in the league in effective field goal percentage in terms of, like, do you think it's going to get better? Or have you, are you going into the season expecting them to be a bottom 10 shooting team? That's a tough question. It is. Man, That's I, why you I know, asked it to you. I totally agree in the sense that there, it seemed that once we shifted from plan A to plan B, um, the Knicks felt, okay, Let's let's focus on our shooting. That's number one. And yeah, I think that you're going to see moments where um, like you're going to see better improvement, certainly, uh, especially from three. And I'm, I'm sure that plays in, obviously. But I don't know if they'll have the opportunity, like, like if the offense will be created well enough um, systematically where opportunities are presenting themselves, where the Knicks can actually shoot more uncontested shots, where 
Uh, and that, that, of course, will affect how, um, you know, how it goes in and everything. So Yeah, no, for sure. I don't know if that's something to be encouraged about. Uh, yeah, it's not last, right? That's great. It's, a <laughs> it's, definitely, like, it's, it's not – if you're not first, you're last in this the case. 2019-20 New York Knicks – we're not last anymore. That's someone print that up on a T-shirt, please. Anyway, so yeah, you know, I think they can definitely. There's room for improvement, but again, this to me is a team that is not cohesive. There's no real continuity. Not yet. Not yet. Right, and you know, you know, they can make shots, but I'm I'm concerned that it's gonna get worse before it gets better. Not worse than last season, but worse from here on out than say 23rd, and then improve from there, hopefully, because of the fact that. These guys are mostly going to be relying on their own key instincts as opposed to knowing where their other guys are, spots on the floor, running plays, getting a good sense of um, of how things come together. Uh, so I'm happy you ended on that point because I my maybe not my most encouraging thing from the preseason because I think there were like you said there were some brilliant moments actually, but the thing that I I'm happy about is for as much as David Fisdale has talked about um, the players needing to trust each other a little bit more and make that extra pass and you know and know that you're making the right play um and for as much as there has been uh some consternation already over the fact that the offense has not um maybe had the most flow to it there haven't been a ton of shots where I've looked at it and I said oh that's a terrible shot like there've been a, obviously a couple here and there but overall, I felt I've felt thus far pretty good about the shots that this team is taking, even if they are not the result of a ton of ball movement, a ton of you know um, intricate uh, schemes, or, or you know, or maybe it's just the, the result of the fact that, like we've talked about, it's a whole bunch of new guys. Um, are you on the same page, or you feel like they could be generating better looks than they are so far? I think it's a step in the right direction at the very least, but. These things take time, yeah. and you know, I mean, there were some questionable um, plays that were drawn up or reactions. I, I think there were some moments where I was really kind of shaking my head with Randall. Like there was a moment where uh, I think it was against Washington. He had a wide open Portis, oh, yes, and yes, just yes, completely yes. looked him off, or didn't even see him in the first place. And it's like you've got a decent three point shooter who has nothing but real estate in front of him, and no one is taking it up, or you know, and. I think the final play of the Pelicans game, you can't really blame Randall for taking the shot. It was only three seconds, but I still oh, that was back not my a, mind. That was not a great play call. It wasn't, and that's no. why I'm thinking. It was like it's it's a one point game. You've got some decent shooters out there. Okay, Randall. I get it. He had made a few before. He was he was really feeling it. But is there no better play that we can draw up where we need a point? Like if you can draw contact, that's that's two shots right there. Um, if you can at least advance it closer to the basket you have a higher chance potentially of making it depending on the play call it's it's something like that where it gives me pause with fizz but not enough to warrant uh okay i, I really don't know about this guy we should we should start having second thoughts it's just it, this it, is an interesting thing to take counted, into consideration no if the game counted i think we'd be maybe having a slightly different conversation um so all right, I think though no, that's fair. I'm happy you brought up Randall. Um, he's going to be the guy I'm t- I'm keeping the close. Other than whoever starts a point guard and plays point guard generally, Randall's going to be the guy I'm keeping my the closest eye on in terms of um, how much of a black hole he is or isn't. A um, couple more stats. Uh, we don't need to spend that much time on them. Just 
let's say real or unreal and then maybe give a quick explanation why um the knicks are sixth in effective field goal percentage allowed in the nba uh through the preseason trailing only um milwaukee boston denver philadelphia and indiana now Milwaukee, Boston, and Philadelphia are uh, figured to be three of the you know top. I don't know five or six defensive. I, well, I I think Boston's still going to be very good defensively, despite Enos Cantor's presence on that team um, and Kemba Walker. I guess we should say um, Milwaukee is going to be very good. Philly's going to be very good. Denver was actually very good defense for most of last year, um, and Indiana typically plays a solid defense. And there there we are. Sitting at sixth, and then right behind us, Orlando, Oklahoma City, you know, Brooklyn, the Lakers. So it's like, it's like which of these things is not like the other? It's us. But it's, are you taking anything from that, or are you just tossing it out? I'm tossing it out. Not not to sound negative. It's just. I mean, we played Washington twice. As you What's yeah. that? We played Washington twice. And, yeah, so that's like you have Pelicans to without them. Zion. The the Hawks are a very good offensive team. Yeah. In fact, they were a fantastic offensive team last year. But I just you know it's hard to take stock in that. Nah, um, I guess the only thing I will say is, other than the one Washington game where they were just completely, um, completely and totally not fully engaged on defense, I th- I didn't think that there was a ton of open shots this preseason. Um, there were some in every game, but I think for the most most part, they got uh, they did pretty good at at least kind of getting um, to the general area of of the shooter, which you know you like to see. Yeah. Um, all right. Something I tweeted out today: um, the Knicks were eleventh in frequency of shots taken at the rim, which you like to see, um, and they were. Do, do, do 21st in frequency of threes taken. Um, you feeling any particular way about either of those numbers? Uh, I mean, overall, they're like right in the middle of the pack in the league. I think 17th is what I saw in terms of percentage of shots taken either at the rim or from three. I think if they went the whole year and they were around like, you know, 15, 16, 17 in that stat, like rim or threes, I think I'd be okay with that, wouldn't you? Yeah, and you know, I, I actually think the the first stat you listed is for real. Because I do too, I do too. The dri- you know, I think that drive and kick is something that can exist, but I think the Knicks are much more likely to drive and, and go for the contact than they are from necessarily shooting the three. And I think things might get skewed as well from the uh, three-point standpoint, uh, okay. especially as the season goes on because of the fact that the Knicks are – in my um, assumption, which I think is fair, going to look to deal some of their best shooters at the uh, by the deadline, and that will of course play into how they finish out the year. Um, but I, I think they could be around middle of the pack for three point shooting. But at the rim, I think there is a chance that if they if they are aggressive enough, and that seems to be the mo of the front office and Fizdale, that they can they can rank around, if not in the top ten for um, around the rim. Yeah, um, I agree with you. The last stat that I just want to hit on before we before we move on to prediction time is in terms of shooting, uh, defensive shooting accuracy. So basically we're talking about how accurate the other team is in certain areas of the floor. 
Um, the Knicks ranked Knicks defense ranked sixth in terms of um, limiting opponents' efficiency around the rim. So opponents were shooting 57% around the rim um, over the course of the preseason against the Knicks, which again is, is sixth. And I know 57% sounds pretty high, but teams generally do, um, you know, make a lot of buckets around the rim. So that, that's why it was sixth in the league. Um, I, I thought that that was, and by the way, sorry, one other thing, there were 31% uh, in terms of rim, frequency again defense and that was fifth so basically what we take from that is through the preseason at least they're not allowing anyone to they're not allowing a lot of people to shoot at the rim and if people are shooting at the rim they're not making those shots that's something that I also think will be sustainable because just and again their their defensive schemes changed I don't know how many times last year but we've seen thus far through four season game four preseason games a real effort to, um, like, not give up driving lanes. Like, they would rather give up the three than give up a drive to the rim. And I have a feeling that that's something that they're going to stick with. I mean, it's something that obviously Milwaukee, you know, excelled at to a point of absurdity last year where, where teams were, like, taking a ton of threes against them, and yet they were the best defense or second-best defense in the league. Um, you know, that that's a bit much to expect, but... I don't know. I have a feeling they're just going to be like, you're not going to get to the rim against us, and you know maybe we'll they'll live and die a little bit by how teams are shooting threes. What do you? What do you any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think uh, they they'll be practicing what they preach if they keep Frank. So, for example, if you trade Frank, then it's uh, I love I you. Think there's a, a huge hole in that theory. You're such a good like, friend. You're such a good guy. <laughs> um, of course, if they if they keep him, then it makes a lot of sense why they would look to uh, they would just allow you to shoot from three. Um, and I know Spencer, maybe uh, about a month ago, a few weeks ago, talked about uh, corner threes and how the Knicks were so bad with allowing corner threes, and a lot of it came to closeouts and, and positioning. Yeah, I'd like to think that they'll fix it from there. In fact, if anything, maybe from the wing, they'll kind of live with that shot. But yeah, I, I would I think that it will be a consistent theme if the personnel for the most part stays the same where keeping players out of the paint is the most important thing to them, especially because uh, well, this is actually an interesting. Thing. I think that with so many, with such a deep team, they could actually, um, they could allow themselves to get into foul trouble because there's, Oh yeah, for sure. Come perfect. So taking away that, um, that opportunity and reducing contact and reducing the, um, the odds of, of fouling someone actually surprised me a tiny bit in that you could rotate players in and out a little bit more if they were uh, dealing with foul issues. So, yeah, I it, it'll be an interesting strategy. I, I'd like to see if they I'd like to see how it works at first because I know I was reading about how the Raptors have done a great job in terms of swarming. Maybe they're able to take something away as well, but um, yeah, they're just utilizing the strength and having that two. Two-man tandem of Frank and Mitch, if if even used, I don't know if they're going to be on the floor yeah, at the same we'll, time we'll that frequently. But if so, then that certainly it's like if you can't get to the rim through Frank, you're definitely not really going to be able to do so with Mitch. Yeah, um, for what it's worth, they were the 12th best team in the NBA in terms of um, limiting opponents' corner threes through the preseason. So I mean, look, if they're going to be a team all season that says you're, you're not going to get to the rim against us and you're not going to shoot corner threes against us, it kind of makes sense to me 
with their personnel because they have personnel where there's a lot of athletes on this team, but not a not a lot of guys that necessarily think the game at the highest level. And if you give a team like that maybe um, a simpler blueprint of instructions to follow on the defensive end, it's like, look, we'll live with above the break threes against us. Um, you know, try to stop them while you can, but for the most part, like that's that's the thing we're going to give up. And then you see how you do with that. I mean, look, I'd be curious. I mean, it can't it can't get much worse. Or actually, no, it can't get any worse because they were the worst defense in the league, I, I believe, last year. So, on that uplifting note, um, Jeremy, should we do a quick ad read? What do you think? I think it's a great idea, John. You think it's a good idea to do it? Ad- Absolutely. Okay. Well, listen, you, again, you brought up betting. We, we do all kinds of betting stuff on, on the show. So, um, now we're going to be talking about my bookie. So the regular season, obviously, is going to be here in a few days, and my bookie has you covered with, uh, they do pregame betting, in-game betting, season-long betting. So we have a couple of odds. I've been trying to do some different odds on each show, and I want you to, I want you to, let's, let's spend some time with season win total odds for teams that the Knicks fans love to hate. So... We got the Nets at 43 and a half. Jeremy, how happy would you be to bet under under 43 and a half for the uh, Brooklyn Nets? I'd be thrilled. Wouldn't that feel I feel great. I would. Yeah. But I think they'll go over. You know what? To hell with you. Um we got our, <laughs> we got our friend uh, in Dallas with the Mavericks. Their over under is 40 and a half, you know. God, I would ju- that I I think I need to bet that under because really it's like what are we doing if we're not rooting against the Mavs? Uh, let's see if we could get one more, one more good one to root against. Um, I don't know. Misery loves company. The Suns over under is twenty nine and a half. That seems high to me. By the way, I think that's high. Yeah, you know, with the Mavs, just based on the amount of games that Porzingis will miss, leads me to believe that you can go with the under. And with yeah. the Suns, it's the sort of thing where they play in such a miserable conference, like. I think the only thing that would really stop miserable the meaning Suns, good for miserable for yes, them. <laughs> exactly. Um, the only thing that really stops the Suns is the Grizzlies because, good lest point. we forget, they need that pick if they feel <laughs> if they want to keep it. Um, and the only guaranteed falling, way they keep the pick is if they finish with one of the two worst records in the league. Very, very good thinking. Well, this year's six. Yeah, no, it's it's top six protected. So if they right. if they finish with the worst or second worst records in in the league, they I keep see. the pick. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So I could see them uh, with a rookie PG and um, yeah, no, they're some gonna, other players. They're gonna, yeah, hey, bet the bet the Grizzlies under uh, while you're at it. It's the, look, you can find all of these odds on my or uh, yeah, mybookie.com. Um, we have a great offer for you. Sign up, use promo code overtime. And they'll match your first deposit. Again, promo code overtime and new users get their first deposit doubled. Mybookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid, hopefully, for your sake. Um, All right, let's go through some predictions. So, um, by the time you are listening to this, um, actually, no, I think I'm probably going to release this pretty early Monday morning. So, there's a chance my final um, bundle of preseason predictions will not be in your inbox yet uh, in the Knicks Film School newsletter. Uh, by the way, go subscribe to that. It's absolutely free. Um, but it'll be there soon. And then we will have a total of 17 preseason predictions for everybody to sink their teeth into. And we're going to sink our teeth into them right now. Um, so, Jeremy, what do you want to do? You want to start at the top of these and, and then work our way down? Let's do it. All right, so my first preseason prediction, which I made two weeks ago, and I still feel pretty good about, 
Mitchell Robinson this season will emerge as a star with a capital S. And if we could put some glitter on the word star, I would sprinkle, I'd do the glue, I'd do the glitter. Um, I do, I do the whole, I maybe put some shining lights around the word star. I'm all in on Mitchell Robinson. What do you think? I'm all in on him as well. I, I'm kind of hoping that he, his blocks go down because he's chasing less, which Agreed. I think actually would hurt his star potential because we happen to look more at the numbers. And so in some ways I'm looking for him not in the box score to improve and, and therefore it kind of builds a more well-rounded Mitchell Robinson with that. I don't think it's going to happen necessarily. I think he's still going to chase quite a bit. Um, but I think he's really going to show himself as an incredible rim runner, lob defensive, you know, glue for this team. I think he's going to be phenomenal and I'm really excited to watch him. I mean, all these players, but really Mitch is just, there's so much to love in terms of his game. And I think also if he can, continue expanding his um his passing and ball handling that'll also play into, and shot of course too but um but more his his passing ideally would be perfect for this team too so i'm not gonna go off on too much of a tangent i promise but briefly i think the like when you look at these types of players in the nba there's this there's this happy medium that you need to find between and this goes for the organization and for the for the player where obviously every player is worried about stats i mean Shane Battier comes along once in a once in a blue moon but like every normal player is worried about their stats at the same time when a player is fully bought into an organization and is like all right i know if i do all the little things that come along with with winning um you know what, even if I have to sacrifice a little bit of stats, I know it's going to be better for me in the long run. I know it's going to help the organization succeed in the long run. And I know it's going to, like, I trust the organization to do the right thing when it comes that time. I know it's early. I know he's only entering his second year. But I feel like Mitch is the type of guy who's going to find that that balance. I think he wants to be in New York long term. I think he's like putting down roots here. Um, I know uh, Bondi had the snippet about like, oh, Dallas could try to steal him. It's closer to his hometown. I just, I think he wants to be here. I think he wants to be in New York and I think he wants to be a foundational building block. I think that matters to him. Um, So that for me, it's even, it's like, it's like part about the on court stuff, but it's also part about, I think he has the right mentality. I don't know. You might. I, I, you could say I'm reading too much into him, but that's. I just. I. I, I really believe in the kid. I feel good. Yeah. Might as, might as well. Might as well. We got nothing to lose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Prediction number two. Julius Randle. This is probably the the most. Uh, if I, I had a hot take, this is it. Julius Randle averages 25 points, 10 rebounds, five assists, and five turnovers. Um, after this prediction, uh, our our favorite sage. Clarence Gaines was kind enough to tw- quote tweet me and list all the players in NBA history who have averaged 25, 10, and 5, and it's all Hall of Famers, um, most of which are like first ballot, whole, like Wilt Chamberlain type Hall of Famers. And um, only three of those guys also did uh, five turnovers to go with their 25, 10, and 5. Two questions. One, do you think this has a prayer of happening? And two, which do you think is the most outlandish of the four numbers that I gave? 
Uh, no, I don't think this has a prayer of happening. Um, you. Nobody you. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I honestly think that the five assists might be the hardest. Just because of the fact really? that... Yeah, yeah. Wow. You know, I, I mean, okay. I guess you could say 25 points. But his usage last year, his usage rate was like 27, I want to say. Okay. Something like that, if I remember. Could be wrong. Um, so if that's the case, then I guess that's fairly high. And if you're playing with RJ, you're going to want the ball, but he's going to want it. And then Marcus Morris is also going to be a factor. You know, the, the players he surround that they surround him with, I, I think they need, they, there need to be enough opportunities for him to achieve that five assists per game. And that's going to be hard. Like RJ could see getting it because we've seen during the preseason that he's just been – that's who he is. And especially during – um, at Duke, like he he seemed to fill up the stat sheet really nicely, but and I, you know, it's it's actually like then I think about the rebounds, right? And it's like okay, well he's a he can be a beast in terms of uh, feasting on the boards, but then you're also going to have Mitch there, and Mitch is going to take a fair share of his rebounds as well. And just like the point, the points factor, I think like, honestly, the more I think about it, the more I think that it could be each category, and then I just think like. This was the boldest of takes that you've had easily so far. Yes. Um, I, you know, now that I think about it more, I think I just it's very hard to see him averaging twenty five points a game. I know he had twenty one last year. I know he's going to have a bigger responsibility this year. Twenty five points a game for Julius Randle, I'd love to see it. I mean, believe me, I just that that it it yes, it's only four more, but it seems like a lot. Can can I tell you something? I yes, actually, I actually think the five assist is the most likely because they're gonna. I think they're gonna run the offense through him as much as or more than anybody else on the team. Um, I think, and I just, I think there's gonna be a lot of easy assists um, there for him because I think RJ and him are gonna play a lot together, and I think we've already seen a nice relationship between those two. Um, in terms of like RJ cutting Randall, Randall hitting him. I think the the I don't think I actually don't think he's going to average twenty five. I think he, he'll ten maybe. Although RJ is going to get a lot of those boards in addition to Mitch um, and five turnovers. My God, that's a lot. It's really hard to average five turnovers in the league. It's like yeah, really really hard. Um, okay, enough about this crazy prediction. Um, <laughs> oh God, number three, Alonzo Trier. Oh Zo, I so Zo. Establishes himself as an honest to goodness, helpful NBA rotation player. Can I? Is it too soon to take one back? Can I take this one back? <laughs> because I think if he does this, it's going to be after he gets traded to a team where his bullshit won't like interfere with what they're trying to do, um, like a really good team or a really like established culture. Because I just I don't seeing his presence on the I don't see his presence on the Knicks this year necessarily being helpful if the signs that we've already seen continue. But so I'm throwing myself under the bus here. Yeah, I was gonna say as soon as you finish that sentence, um, it will be somewhere other than here. Yeah. Which, by the way, would you be broken up about? No, no, I I wouldn't. It's. You know, it's the sort of thing where we talked about this at length last year too, um, and then he proved us wrong, and then he sort of didn't. And yeah, but did he really? Pro- Hold on, wait a second. Yeah, that's no. the thing. It's- did he prove us wrong? He was an immaculately gifted, efficient scorer yes. in isolation, and got to the free throw line like nobody's business. But did he prove us wrong? In ter- and when I say us, I'm actually going to give a caveat. 
Did he prove the people wrong who said, you know what, we're not going to spend a draft pick on that guy? Did he prove those people wrong? And that's uh, that's what I'm, yeah, I don't know. I think he did in the sense of there are 60 players who are drafted. I'm sure that he, I mean, he certainly paid like one who's better than top 60. But oh, yeah. I think if, you, if you're looking at a lot of those second round picks, he deserved to go, he deserved to be drafted at the very least and and certainly higher than than the 50s. Um by a bit, you know. Again, we've always wondered about what Alonzo Trier's ceiling is, not what his floor is. We've known that his floor can be a, an NBA player at the at the at the least. It's really how else he can change it. And I think um, his catch and shoot improving, at least from what we'd seen earlier, uh, maybe a month ago, before preseason, obviously, um, that was encouraging. But it's the sort of thing where if the Knicks really want to cut payroll and they're looking for or cut salary and they're looking for someone who isn't going to give as much as other players. Like you can't look at Alonzo Trier and yeah, he gets buckets obviously. And he's not a, he's not a, um, a slouch defensively, but he's making half of what Frank makes. And I think you could make an argument that just the sunk cost of having your first round pick, but also just what Frank has been able to show over this preseason. And in the past has given Frank the advantage of why he should stay. Now, again, it shouldn't just be Frank versus Trier. I think there's also the Dotson factor, and I know we'll get into that later. Yep. But we always knew that with the, the true logjam, which has always been at the two, one of these guys has to go. And by process of elimination and also by seeing just what we're seeing right now, there are a lot of reasons why Trier should be on the outside looking in. And if that's the case, finding a new home for him would be the best-case solution for all parties, especially because I've felt that Scott Perry – has um, has kind of dropped the ball in terms of trade value for a lot of these guys. And I'd really love to see Scott Perry trade a player where he's um, he's peaking or he's near the apex of his, his uh, value, not um, salvaging something at the last minute as it's on the decline. Like, I loved the Hernan Gomez trade at the time. I still do. In fact, I love it even more. It's going to be a good trade. Right. It's just... I so wish, and I get it that the market, their factors, blah, 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 yes. Having that logjam at the five, that to me was like, okay, this, I feel like this could have really gotten sorted out easy, more easily because then we're hearing all about this with Hernan Gomez isn't happy and how does that affect Porzingis and, and it just, it turned into a mess that didn't need to be there. And for someone who loves the fact that the Knicks don't have these, um, kerfuffles i guess you could you could almost call them just just anything that would that would inspire um bites that then get amplified through they don't the need the bullshit they don't exactly need any, they need bullshit less than any team in professional fucking sports precisely french yeah so if, if that's the sort of thing where and i, I was kind of thinking about this with the process of elimination like yes we heard we, we saw what ian begley said about grumblings and I'm certainly not. And saying by the that. way, no, hold on. If you don't, if think if you think that's coming from someone other than Trier, then I have I have a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. Because well, that's the thing. Yeah. I was going through the roster, like, okay, well, which of these players really at this point has not had the playing time where they would be that stressed out about? Like, okay, um, Iggy, yeah, but I don't think a rookie is going to. Yeah, no. About this. That seems very unlikely. No. Um, we know that the guys, who, the the five who started, they certainly got enough playing time. We know. Um, Frank got playing time. We know that Dotson's hurt. We know that Ellington received playing time. We know Bullock's hurt. Just going through the list, there was only one player that made sense to me. And I, I knew it was always him. 
it was just a matter of when Ian said players plural, I thought who else could well, it be? I and mean, it's possible it's someone. It's just I, I I knew okay. Well, there's one guy who clearly has gotten um, he had what like seven. Uh, minutes of preseason action or, or something around there within the first three games. I can get why he'd be upset, but it didn't seem like that was a, um, a feasible thing for uh, anyone else to be complaining about given the amount of playing time they had received. It's it's indicative of his opinion of himself, which is I you should have a high opinion of yourself. I get it. But something tells me, and this is the part we can't know, Something tells me that if he came into camp with, um, you know, an unselfish mentality, and, and, you know, we could talk about, well, what does that even mean, an unselfish mentality? If you're a scorer, you go out there and you try to score. But, like, Fizz loved this guy last year. We know Fizz loved this guy last year. I, I don't – I, I got to think if there, there's a reason why, you know, potentially he he fell out of favor – um, and maybe it's the attitude he came into camp with. I, I don't know. I mean, he so his his field goal attempts, by the way, per hundred possessions are through the preseason third on the Knicks after uh, Marcus Morris and Kevin Knox. He's shooting sixteen point eight field goal attempts uh, per hundred possessions. So you know, it's um, not nothing. Um, but I don't know. I just you know. You get one guy like this in your locker room, and it could really, it could really start to turn things sideways. And I just, I, I'm not looking forward to seeing um, where this one is going. All right, we, we got to speed up. We got a lot of predictions left to go. So, what is my number four? Oh, here we go. One of Frank or Dot is not here past the trade deadline. Jeremy, what would you think of this one? Yeah, I don't think that's bold at all. No. I'd be shocked if one of them was not. And if and if both of them are here, it's it's Trier who's gone. Um. Yeah, I guess I could – at this point, it's having – because I, I came out with these, I guess, the – what was it? Yeah, no, I came out with these after they had played two preseason games, so they've now completed four. If I could expand this to one of Frank, Dot, or Trier will not be here at the trade deadline, I think I would um, I would do that. Now, my fifth <laughs> my fifth was that Frank gets a real chance. <sighs> I don't know. I how want feel. to believe. I, I yeah, I know. I have the poster up with the spaceship. I I, I want to believe. I want to believe. Um, yes, it is shots. That's the thing. If you can't shoot, did he? Can I ask you? Did he? He's he's six for twenty three in the preseason. Like, did he? He didn't get a real shot yet, right? Like he. Like, no, you can't just get a real shot in the preseason. Okay, I no. just want. And the other thing is he shot better than the other two, which makes it hilarious in a lot of ways. <laughs> That's um, and he's able to bring his defense. But I I think the one thing that kind of um, – I'll say it irked me was that Frank didn't start. Right? right? Didn't – No, he didn't. He did not. Right, uh, yeah. DSJ so, started twice and, and Peyton started twice. Right. So the idea that Frank is going to start the regular season after – Playing better in a lot of ways than Peyton. Oh, that's not. That's not right. right. So it's like, okay, well, we know that Fizz has had a lot of empty words. So I feel like if you have a player like Frank who's played better than these other guys and isn't really getting the opportunity, and if this report is true that Peyton was all but promised 
the job. The yeah. whole thing is ridiculous, and it, it kind of goes to show that Frank would have to be so good that we're overlooking any sunk cost value with Dennis Smith Jr. from the Porzingis trade or Peyton from simply signing him out of cap space. And if both those things are true, then I don't think Frank gets a real chance. I think he could see quality minutes, but if he doesn't fit what Fisdale seems to want in his offense, then how real is it going to be? Other than playing against Trey Young and Kemba Walker and, you know, maybe some other guys here and there, I don't I don't see how often we're going to see Frank if uh, if he's not playing against an outstanding offensive talent and the rest of the team is terrible at passing. And if you shut down that one point of attack, then the rest of the offense just gets scrambled. I don't know how often that's going to happen. And that's my concern where I, I I don't think he'll get a real chance. And I want to believe it, but until it happens, I – same thing with him being traded. Until I find out that he has made himself as irreplaceable as possible. Right? Like very few players are irreplaceable. But if Frank oh, yeah. can do that, at least in the role that we envision him to have, yeah, but hold I, I would pick up convinced that something can happen. Here's the thing though. If, if you're talking about that as the role, like a part-time defensive stopper when they need someone um, to do that specific thing – then they're not um then he's not worth the amount like I, putting aside the fact that they like there's no free agents to spend money on next summer and they have all the money in the world then he's not i and this i could see them thinking this way like well if that's his role he's not worth what he would cost us next year you know ipso facto you know bye bye frank it's look we're, we're going I'm, i don't want to talk about this for too much longer because <laughs> let's see what happens and i have a I'm not even going to say it. Let's see what happens in the next week. Um, and if he's here on opening night, we'll, I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about Frank this year. Um, so I'm predicting Dotson gets traded. Yeah, I, I don't think we need to talk too much about this one, given the stuff that we already said and, and with Trier and everything. I, I actually, I really hope that I'm a huge believer in Dotson. And I just, I think, unlike Frank who we keep talking about, like, well, if he gets, if he hits a shot, there's no ifs with Dotson. We've seen Dotson be a good, helpful player. So it's like, you know. Yeah, we've seen him be a helpful player, but we haven't seen him exactly be a winning player. Well, I mean, Michael Jordan would have had a tough time being a winning player on this team last year. Sure, yeah. But, (laughs) Um, but, you know, I mean, like certain things, of course, we've harped on his off-ball defense, and I hope that improves. Yes, yes, yes. But it's, anyways. I'm, I'm, I'm still hopeful. Let's see. We'll see what happens. Okay. Um, RJ Barrett will be bad and no one will care. And just my caveat to this is basically I was predicting that like every rookie in the history of time, um, he is not going to – I guess I probably shouldn't have said bad. I, I should say RJ Barrett will be inefficient and no one will care. And I'm standing by that. I think he's probably going to shoot around 31 32% from three this year. Um, he'll probably have um, an effective field goal percentage, or um, I think his I think his effective field goal percentage will probably will be higher than Knox's last year, which can't be much lower. The one thing I actually am, and again, I'm already going back on myself. I think his true shooting percentage will actually be decent um, because I think he's going to get to the line a lot, and even though he needs work as a free throw shooter. Um, but my main point of this prediction is, is the second part, which is that no one will care um, if he isn't great because he's just going to kind of look the part. And I already am feeling 
great about the second half of that. What do you think? A lot of it will depend on how the players drafted behind him are doing. Look, it's a sort of it's a sort of thing where I feel like uh, you're not drinking all the Kool Aid. I could sense it in your voice. There's a there's a couple Kool Aids sitting on the table. RJ <laughs> RJ Kool Aid, and you're just you're looking at it. You're not uh, you're not taking a sip yet, or maybe you're well, just you know, a straw have... or something. Maybe that's it. <laughs> it's not that I have um, deep rooted concerns in RJ. I think that he can be a fantastic player. But if we're talking about initial reactions, um, look, this is a world of hot takes, and Twitter only amplifies that. If you see Darius Garland go off because there are so many, um, there's so few high usage players on that team, then you're going to start seeing like, okay, well, uh, I like Darius Garland going into the draft, and the fact that they didn't draft him, and they've got RJ, it's it, it's a disaster. Or Jarrett Culver plays fantastic defense. It, there are going to be reasons, no matter what. To nitpick, it's almost as if RJ has to be really good or better than those players for people to not care. Uh, and it, I, to me, I don't care. I don't really care how he does. I want him to do well. Obviously, if there are deep concerns, then yeah, I, I will care about those. But it's the sort of thing where this is such a an odd year to me because it's this hodgepodge of of players who are going to be here long-term, but also other guys who the moment December 15th rolls around could be out the door. So I think purely from a, from a rookie standpoint, because we seem to uh, jump on things a little too quickly and we're not patient enough, if RJ is inefficient but not productive, um, or inefficient and not productive, people will care. If he's inefficient but productive um, – People aren't going to care nearly as much. I, I think he's going to be productive. I think he is going to – I think it's going to be the type of thing where people who don't watch the Knicks every day are going to look at his stats and be like, oh, he's you know he's putting up a nice nice stat line. He's a, he's a nice player. But he's not going to get a lot of buzz from, um, from people who don't watch this team game in and game out because I don't think he's going to have a lot of highlight plays. Like I could see – you know, for obvious reasons, Zion, John Morant, um, you know, maybe even like Garland because he's he's like that type of shooter. Maybe I could see them getting a lot of uh, a lot more stuff on you know on, on highlights, um, and I could just see RJ slowly but surely like us starting to see like oh he just it, like the team is like, that's that's the thing I'm already noticing the team is better when he is on the court than when he is off the court. And I I think that's going to continue, and I think that'll only increase after you know they make some trades, whether it be in December, January, or or February. Um, all right, let's move on. We got to start going through these a little bit quicker. Uh, my eighth prediction. I mean, this is just kind of a gut feeling thing. I have absolutely no real evidence for this. It's just something I can't put my finger on. Um, which is that Dennis Smith Jr. is not going to be the Knicks' long-term answer at point guard. And I'm not saying they're going to trade him this year. I'm not saying they're going to trade him even next year. I just, when we think of, like, when are we going to find our point guard who's going to be here for a decade, There's, I I just, I, I don't think Dennis Smith Jr. is going to be it. And, I again, I, I'm all about evidence. Like, people hear me talk all the time about, you know, I was an attorney, and, and that's kind of factors into everything that I do. But then there are just times where I kind of have a gut feeling, and this is a gut feeling thing. Are you with me on the gut feeling or not? I am. And we even talked about this in the last pod where it's just – yeah, I agree. It, you, can, you can't you can really pinpoint every single reason. It's just 
a combination of things why um, why Dennis Smith Jr. is not the long-term pos- uh, solution at the point guard position. I look at it as if the point guard role will be assessed um, for this next draft. That's my belief, uh, especially because it Which, is such a— By the way, yes, you're about to say it. It's a point guard lead, draft. Yeah, it's a, it's a very heavy lead guard um, draft, and if we're going to—we I mean, will get into it more, but depending on where the Knicks are— if they happen to still be in the lottery, which I believe they will be, um, there will be opportunities for them to grab that player. And they'll be able to grab that player for cheaper, for a longer um, rookie contract, because Desmond Jr. will only have one year left. And ultimately, I think it will be that I still stand by that Desmond Jr. was not acquired because the Knicks absolutely loved him and wanted to establish his game. I still believe that he was simply something to send back, something to take a chance on, uh, with the Porzingis trade, something to match salaries with. It made sense to move him, especially from the Mavericks standpoint. But again, I just the one point I go back to is if you can't play Luka Doncic, who can you play with? And well, and I think Clarence Gaines also made that great point in terms of um, look, consistency a, yeah. and 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 it's totally true. There are times where he's just very disengaged. And offensively, I'd like to at least see his shot keep going. He he took very he took very few shots and. I still think there's an injury and he's coming back slowly and um, I'm concerned the team might push him a little too hard. Obviously, I'm not with the medical staff, so I can't I can't speak from that from from that standpoint. But uh, he seemed a little like he was he was going a little gingerly, especially because someone who has lost 15 pounds. Well, he looked better in the second game, though. I'll say that he looked better in the second game and hopefully he continues to look better. Look, here's the only thing I want to say about the Doncic thing. And I understand why you said it. The, the the defense of Dennis Smith Jr. is on the, on the Doncic thing is I think like LeBron James like we've seen over the years like yes if you're a role player you would be crazy not to want to play with LeBron James if you're someone who fancies themselves um, a star player or something close to a star player then yes we have seen lots of evidence and this kind of started to leak out over the last few years in terms of you know, people talking about it in NBA circles, and I guess a lot of it generated from the Kyrie thing. Like, yeah, there, you do have reason maybe to not want to play with a guy like LeBron, and, and Doncic obviously and LeBron are different players, but they're not dissimilar in terms of the impact that they have on the floor in that all the attention is going to be on them and that you will benefit from that if you are a certain type of player unless you're the guy that wants to be the one that other players are benefiting for. And that's where my doubt about Smith comes in because he sees himself as that type of guy, which is why he balked at the idea of playing second fiddle to Doncic. And I, I think that there's maybe nothing more dangerous in the NBA than a player who thinks he is, I don't want to say more talented because Dennis Smith Jr. has talent, but like, you know, thinks he's he's more than what he is. And um, yeah, so... We'll see. I hope I'm wrong. I really do hope I'm wrong. But Me too. Um, next one we don't even need to talk about because Marcus Morris is already the most popular Nick um, in history. Uh, so we can move on. Okay, my final eight predictions, which are in today's newsletter. Um, there will be a media, another media dust-up. I am mandating that we do not talk about this because I'm refusing to talk about media dust-ups until it actually happens, and even then I might not talk about it. But just yes or no, do you think um, the Knicks will have another media kerfuffle um, involving like not letting someone in a press conference or whatever? Yes, it's New York, and it's we've, we, the, you know, 
the proof is in the pudding. So yes. Okay. Um, next one, stat-based. The Knicks are top five in the league in free throw rate this season. Some context, they were, after finishing 28th in the league in this category in both um, 16-17 and 17-18, they moved all the way up to 8th last year. I think they move up to top five because they have Randall, because they have Barrett, um, and I, I think those guys are going to get to the line a lot, and I think they're, they're going to live at the line as a team. What do you think? I'm going to go with a soft no. Soft no. Okay, I'll take that. Yeah, just I don't see this as a team that can necessarily um, get the calls. Okay. As much. You know, so I, like based on what you're telling me, how it's trending, I could absolutely see it happening. But again, I um, none of these guys is, uh, is going to get the star call yet. And I, I, I certainly don't think it would happen this year. That's so, fair. Uh, that's fair. So that's why I'm a little bit hesitant. But again, wouldn't be surprised if that were the case. Um, alternatively, uh, after finishing, I, I'm pretty sure they finished last in assists last year. Um, I think that they will be better in terms of assists this season. But I still think that they will be bottom five. I am actually I'm already backing off on. I think they'll definitely be bottom 10 in assists. I think they'll be around like 25th. Maybe it's 23rd, 24th, 25th, something around there just because of the style of offense um that they play and I think they're going to they're going to value getting to the line more than they do necessarily like, you know, great looks and open shots. What do you think about that one? Yeah, I think that's fair. I'd also be very curious just to see how they're doing with potential assists. Um, ah, okay. Just because you know half of the job is converting it, so um, and Peyton was very good with potential assists last year. He was, he was very good. So I could see him, especially if he's seeing significant minutes, um, helping the team in that area. But uh, yeah, I could see. I don't want to definitively say bottom five in assists because I could see it happening. Um, but as you're saying, if they're like twenty third, twenty second, I think bottom ten is a much safer. Um, way of putting it okay next one this is probably the of all of my 17 predictions the thing that i think is most likely to come true because this is new york people will be angry at the early season rotations i'm trying to imagine a scenario where people aren't angry at the early season rotations and i'm not even sure i could come up with one i don't think it exists it doesn't it's inevitable people also appreciate being outraged over something and i'm not saying that rotations is not worth being outraged it's just that um it's really hard to balance minutes and there are a lot of guys who are worthy of the time and people are going to be upset no matter what players are going to be upset that they're not getting enough time and the fans of those players and the fans in general are going to be upset over this player shouldn't be playing over that player um why did they get more minutes about this game whereas the other game they you know fizz what are you doing it's gonna happen it's inevitable yeah um. Okay, the offense will go through R.J. Barrett before the end of the season. And I guess I should probably offer a, a caveat on this. I'm not saying R.J. Barrett is going to be like the point guard, but I think over the second half of the year, um, I could see R.J. Barrett leading the team in assists over the second half of the year. I could see him having the highest usage rate over the second half of the year. And yeah, I'm going to go with those two. What do you think about that? Totally. In fact, I wouldn't be 
shocked if he if this doesn't come true before the end of 2019. Um, oh, really? Okay. I don't. I don't think it'll be the case. Uh, I think you're you're correct in that the second half will really be the opportunity that for RJ to have the offense run through him um, more effectively. But you know, if there's an injury and if they need more ball handling, and if RJ is really proving himself to be that type of player, I could see Fizz giving him more responsibility. Um. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Okay. Last three. Let's do let's do the, the, the last one that I said first. Okay. Um, that the Knicks will be a top 10 team in transition points next season or this season. What do you think about that one? Yes, I think this one could actually be very true. A lot of it will also come down to how much they're able to force turnovers and capitalize on uh, defensive rebounds and pushing the pace. I think that pace-wise their goal is probably to be top 10 i'd love for them to model similar to what the kings are doing um but just how efficient and incredible darren fox is um in transition but i i i do think that this could be a top 10 team in transition points absolutely um i am just because we've seen them already try to run a lot um dallas amico over at posting and toasting had a great thread um i think it was late last night or early this morning i forget um, about how Dennis Smith Jr., for as much as he um, was not uh, that great in terms of shooting the last game, uh, he, he definitely did push the pace. Um, okay, last season, the Knicks, in terms of transition frequency, were 21st in the league, and in terms of transition points per possession, they were 27th. So definitely room to grow. Um, yeah, I definitely think they're going to be around 10th in, in frequency at the very least. I think they're going to really try to push it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, w- w- anything else on that one or we're good? No, all good. Okay. Two more. These are the two big ones. Okay. And I'm already having doubts about both, but I'm going to, I'm going to say them. The Knicks power structure, meaning Perry, Mills, and Fizz, all three of them survive the season. What do I think you they think? do. You I think, think all of them... Meaning they are, at this time next year, all three are still employed by the New York Knicks in their current capacities. Uh, that is a loaded question. I think the end of the season, they're all still there. All right. Um, I was actually trying to figure out if, if this is something to continue with. Um, we all know what happened this past summer. We know that it wasn't exactly what we were hoping for. And we know that the idea of looking towards the future for free agents is not something that we really want to do right now because we have the team that we've got. We don't want to look at other players that could easily become available or just sign extensions. If there doesn't seem to be something working, and what I mean by that is not if the Knicks lose, if there doesn't seem to be some sort of system, some solid foundation other than just very good pieces – I could absolutely see changes being made. And I think the the biggest thing for that is the Knicks would want to go into 2021 because whether we like it or not, they are going to focus on big game hunting again because they've got nothing to lose and they've got tons of money and they'll have some nice prospects, good young players to show for it. If that's the case, um, if they're changing 
higher up uh, because I think Mills is essentially good. I, I don't think he's going anywhere. Okay. Um, he's he's really perfect. Uh, he's Dolan trusts him. It's it's in a lot of ways just Dolan operating under Mills, not not in an undermining sort of way, but he knows that Mills has his best interest at heart. So as a result, he's going to keep him on. Okay. Uh, and now from there, it's like okay, um, general manager, what do you do? Uh, you could keep him. You could keep Perry. But the biggest thing is that. It's so tough because I, I do believe Perry will. Perry, I, I, Perry's in your apartment right now, isn't he? That was Perry walking <laughs> through the door. I know. I have one. I have one roommate going to the bathroom. I have another roommate coming in. All good. Um, yeah, Perry's going to silently, you know, come up behind me and kill me. I think if you make a change at the head coaching position, um, that's the easiest scapegoat. And I think you could then appeal to those free agents in 2021 and say, "Hey, we got a new coach, uh, and we we had a year to implement a system." Because I don't think you can go into 2021 with Fizz not working after three years, if that's the case, and a new coach, because then you're not showing anything consistent. You're basically selling um, uh, you're selling a house that doesn't exist. And so then with Perry, it's like, okay, uh, you get rid of him, but then you're probably going to have someone else uh, wanting a new coach. And from there, it's like, well, are you then firing just Perry? No, it seems like you're firing other guys. So the point I'm trying to make is it's very convoluted. I think that the Knicks are going to do everything they can to capitalize on 2021. And if Fizz isn't the answer, then that's one thing. If Perry isn't the answer, then it likely means Perry and Fizz aren't the answers. So I'm going to actually go ahead and say my last prediction because it ties in directly with why I think this prediction um, is going gonna, is gonna to come true. The last prediction is that the Knicks will win 33 games this year. Here is how I think they will win 33 games this year. I think they are going to start off the season not great. Um, and I think, you know, and I've tweeted about it, and Mike Vorkanoff and I discussed it a little bit. Um, he wrote about it a little bit. And we talked about it last time we were on this podcast together. Um, they have a stretch of games between, you know, mid-November and the beginning of January, which is just hellacious. And it is unwielding, and, and, and it, it's, it's unrelenting and unwieldy, and it's just, it's brutal. So, yeah, I could see a scenario where they are something like 10 and 30 um, after, you know, midway through the season or, you know, give or take a game or two. The reason I think that he will survive is because I think between RJ and Mitch and Knox and... Someone else. There needs to be someone else. Maybe one of the vets. Maybe maybe it's Randall. I think that these guys will all start to coalesce at the right time. And all of that, every single ounce of that, is going to depend on them buying in. Buying in completely. And ultimately, both of these questions come down to, do you think Fisdale is the type of person that players, and in particular young players, will buy into? And will buy what he's selling, even when times get tough, even when there's guys in the corner of the locker room maybe complaining about minutes. This is my vote of confidence that I think he is that guy. I think that's why they hired him. I think that's why they still believe in him 100%. And I think 
they're going to have something like an Atlanta Hawks last year type season where they were, I, if the Hawks didn't have the worst record in the league through 40 or so games, it was one of the worst records. And then they ended up with, I think, 20, what, 29 wins? Somewhere, somewhere about that? Yeah, somewhere. Yeah. And I think the Knicks are going to have that type of season. And I think, you know, if they're not a 500 team over the last, you know, 40 games or so, I could see them being within a couple games of 500 over that stretch. And I think it's going to be enough to generate positive momentum going into the summer and enough positive vibes around the organization that, you know what, everybody feels good about this thing going forward. Um, They have the pieces to do it. I think those pieces have the right personalities. Um, It's just a matter of whether they could hold it together for those first three months of the season, even if the losses start piling up. Um, I think that they will. So that's... That's me. So I guess the final question to you, over under 33 wins, which is my prediction. I'm going under. Little reason, under, lot under, where are you at? I'm, I think it's going to be closer to 26, 27. Okay, so you're, in, I, you're with Vegas. Vegas has them. I have seen some casinos have a 27 and a half. I've seen some at 26 and a half, but yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's. I really want to believe. I obviously do. It's the thing where... A few years ago, I thought, oh, you know, big summer of signings. It's 44 games seems possible. At least 41 turned out to be much less than that. The year after, I thought, okay, well, like 34 seems feasible, 35, much less than that. I've been doing this year after year after year where the bar gets lower, and it's at the point where um, the two points are probably going to meet. I think that 25-26 is a, a fair number considering what they've added, the age and how things just take time to gel. I want to be wrong. That's the other thing. It's kind of the um, under-promise, over-deliver. And I just I, – I can't – I don't feel comfortable with the idea that this team will win more games than that. Okay. Uh, look, I, it's, it's fair. It's not unfair. Um, here's where I have trepidation with predicting 33 wins. If they do, in fact, start out something like 10 and 30, like I predicted – and that buy-in is not there, and guys start, like, tuning Fizz out, and they're like, you know what? I'm getting mines, you know, as much as I can in whatever minutes I'm going to get between now and the end of the season, then it could go, I mean, it could go in completely the other direction. And I think, you know, there's a chance that, that they don't even get to the number that that you predicted. I don't think that will happen. Agreed. But... The fact that like twenty one, twenty two, twenty three wins is like it w- like if they if they ended the season with that number of wins, uh, would I be like, oh no, you're lying, that didn't happen? I'm like, oh no, I okay, I get it. Um, hope not. Um, I hope I'm right. Uh, I hope I'm. I actually no. I hope I'm wrong. I hope they win forty games. I hope it comes together. I hope they don't start out ten and thirty. I hope they start out you know fifteen and twenty five, and then go on a roll. That would be um, that would be really cool. All right, Jeremy, we have done the damn thing um, for what is, we should remind everybody, going to be our regular Sunday spot from now on. Um, we're going to be at you next week. Um, I think we I think we agreed to do next week's after, um, I th- who do they play next Sunday night? They play someone next Sunday night. Um, or maybe I'm thinking in two weeks, whatever. If there's a game on Sunday, we're going to be doing these Sunday pods after the Sunday game. So we could incorporate a little bit of post-game and then a little bit of um, big-picture stuff 
do a little weekend review type of deal. And uh, that is it. Anything that you want to plug, promote, say, shout out before we go? Um, no. No, that's all good. <laughs> took yeah. You, took your while. I know. I was trying to think about it. Um, you have a fantasy draft in what, 20, 20 minutes? Something like that. Yeah, we're doing the auction. I've never done an auction draft before. Live auction or online auction? Uh, online auction. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it yeah, no, it's my one, my one hope in life is that I could eventually get into a, a lot a league that does a live auction. That'd be so much fun. It would be. Um, but yeah, another time. Yeah, no, I, but again, it's, it should be a very interesting experience to see how everyone spends their money and budgets accordingly. I'm very good with budgeting. So <laughs> this will be really, this will be put to the test for me. Uh, you know, like spending. I think we we allowed or al- um, allocated four hundred in total. So uh, four hundred dollars. Well, no, not real money. No, no, I'm saying you have a four hundred dollar budget. Oh yes, yeah, exactly. Oh uh, wow. So maybe spending three hundred dollars on Antetokounmpo, good investment. Well, it depends. What am I going to do with the other hundred dollars? And there are ten other or nine other guys in the league. Um, yeah. So it'll be it'll be in a very interesting experience i'm excited for it though well, you're talking to the person that i think last year on twitter i said that if the nba had no salary cap and no max contract restrictions um i thought a team would give uh onto the kumpo a 600 million dollar contract um and i stand by that actually I, I think that i think that would happen how many years though um i think i theorized Somewhere between eight and ten, and obviously that's a big difference. It's either sixty million dollars a year or like um, closer to eighty million dollars a year. Um, but yeah, I th- come on. If you're telling me James Dolan didn't have the chance to pay Giannis Antetokounmpo eight years at eighty million dollars a year, that he wouldn't at least think about it. They'd be able to fucking statue for the guy. Come on. Yeah, I think they'd think about it. They would think about it. All righty. That's, that's enough craziness for one episode. Go do your draft. Uh, thank you for um, your very precious, valuable time. Everybody out there, thank you for your precious, valuable time and for joining us for another episode of the Next Film School podcast. We will be back with you with another episode very soon. Uh, coming this week when, hey, real basketball. How about that? How about that? All right, we'll talk to you soon. Giddy up.